0: Hi, welcome back to Real Estate Made Simple. Today we're going to go into real estate farming geographically, psychographically, demographically, and it supports and continues the KWU course of 36123 of how we can close 36 transactions in 12 months with three hours of focused lead generation a day. If you like the sound of this, stay tuned. Thanks for being here. My name is Rick Beisley, the owner-operator of 3L Coaching and the Beisley Team Real Estate Solutions, and I'm your host today, and today we're going to talk about farming. Now, when we talk about farming, it's going to be about how we can identify our farm, our target audience, the steps to convert it from the budget to the size to the expectations. If you like what you hear, let me know about it. I, I like making the content only if you like hearing about it, so just do me a favor and drop me a thumbs up or a comment Make sure you subscribe. We do drop new episodes every Thursday on YouTube and on the podcast. Uh, And then we do the shorts and the reels every day on social media like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. So of course, in this day and age, we're everywhere. And even better, share it with a friend that you think might enjoy this. So let's get into it. Today is going to be the power session around farming. Uh, We're going to talk about what is farming, some of the myths that we've heard around farming how to select your farm, working your farm, and then how do we systematically continue it so your farm gives you the yielded and the positive results that you're looking for. So let's think about a farm. A farm is a, a market segment of a specific niche or group of people. It's a target audience. We don't know many of them right now, yet they have something in common, and we're going to create that niche there's three types of farms and in real estate, we often refer to or default to a geographic farm and that's where do they live? Now we could, be, we could be tiny, we could be the certain streets, right, that would be where they live. Or we can go a neighborhood or we can go a zip code or a city or a county or a state. The bigger your budget of time and money, the bigger your geographical farm can be. Uh, so that's geographically, we also have demographic and demographic is who are they? Their age, their gender, their net worth, or their level of income, their occupation, their race, nationality, the languages they speak. That's a demographic farm. And again, it's a group of people that have a common demographic or a common geographic. And we don't know them, but we're going to systematically market prospect to them, lead generation to them, to build reputation, and then relationship. The third one is psychographic, and that's what do they like to do? Are they certain sports fans? they like certain restaurants, lifestyles, hobbies? Are they gym rats? Do they run a lot? Do they golf? Do they have investment properties? Are they vendors? Blue collar, white collar, I guess that could be occupation as well. So uh, that's some examples that farming doesn't have to be geographically around a neighborhood. It can be just a group of people who have something in common, hopefully in common with you as well, so you can connect with them and then we're going to build that relationship and that reputation. So let's talk about some myths around farming. First myth is it takes too long and costs too much money. And two is a relative phrase, a relative word, right? How much is too much? Because if it took a year, but you were able to earn X numbers, it's still too much or takes too much money? So it's all relative. And I want you to think about Yeah, it does take time to build it because you're building something with people who don't know, like, or trust you yet. But over time, it can become one of the most lucrative parts of your business. So let's not just not do it because you think it takes too much time or money. Uh, It does take some time and some money to ramp it up, and then it can be the gift that keeps on giving. Myth number two, I don't want to farm because someone else already dominates the neighborhood. Now, depending where you go, if that's true, then just go somewhere else. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Yet, when we really look at a microscope, I wonder if not many people dominate the way you think they dominate. So we just take a closer look to it or go somewhere else, and that's okay. Myth number three around a farm. A farm limits the area or specialty. It doesn't limit you. It just makes you hyper-focused in that specific niche or that specific area. You don't put all of your eggs in that one basket because ultimately, the best and number one source I want you to think about is going to be your database and your sphere of influence. Uh, Really, as we do our farm, it's just creating relations with the people that will eventually add to our database anyway. So it's not your only niche and it's not your only source. Therefore, you don't have to worry about becoming too specialized. In fact, the more specialized you become, the more you're going to connect to people in that area, right? Aim small, miss small. So it doesn't have to be your only source of business. Myth number four, farming's all about mass marketing, mass emails into some cases, Uh, It might appear that way, but it truly is about relationships and connecting with people and adding value. So emails and marketing is a component of it, but like we've said this entire course, it's going to be prospecting-based, marketing-enhanced. It's synergistic, the two of them. Myth number five, you can stop and you can start. And I'm going to say, that is false. No, you cannot. I've mentioned the bag of popcorn before, and if you put the popcorn in the microwave, then you turn the microwave off and then back on and then back off. Guess what? You don't ever get to eat popcorn and if you start and stop your farm you'll never see the results that you want so it does need to take that consistency and that persistency as you farm so let's get into selecting your farm I need to remember to breathe I'm just so excited about this stuff so let's get into selecting your farm and here's what we need to think about Um, look at yourself first look at yourself who am I and that might be a good place to think about your farm where do I live what is my age, demographic, net worth, income, hobbies, occupation, and lifestyle? These are things you already know because you've been you your whole life. And if you can identify a farm around that then your ability to connect with them of what they want or what their problems, their experience in life are that you can solve, it's because you're living it. So let's find a niche within a niche and maybe you can cross pollinate this sort of thing. So we're going to find and select our farm. Uh, first thing we're going to look at is geographically and really geographically, demographically or psychographic, a lot of the same factors to consider for one we consider for all because it's so personal to what, to what you need. First thing, what are your goals? What are your goals around your, your money you need to make? Um, what's your budget in which you can dedicate to your farm and a budget is both your time and your money? What's the size of your farm going to be based on your budget and your goals? Uh, where's the location going to be? If it's a demographic or a psychographic, is it spread all across Central Florida or your area? If that's the case, it's going to take more time, more money. Uh, how many people do you currently know in that? Meaning, do you have a, a, already a head start because a lot of your network is within that farm as well, may become your advocates, core advocates, or are you farming a complete stranger focused area? It takes some more time. Uh, what's the average sales price of your farm? What's the turnover ratio? And turnover ratio is simply. Of all of the homeowners who you're farming, how many of them move every year? It's, it's easier to say it geographically if I have a neighborhood of 210 move, then that's 5% turnover ratio. So that, that's what we're looking at as a turnover ratio. Market conditions, is that neighborhood or niche in a seller's market or buyer's market? A lot of that's impacted by the price point, by, by impacted by where it is geographically. So we want to look at those market conditions. Competition, is anyone else been farming that and you've got a David Goliath sort of thing, that, that's a factor to consider. Do you want to go battle head to head or is there another farm over here that no one really dominates with reputation or market share? And the final one is, are you a fit? Do you, do you fit in your farm? Can you speak the language and walk the talk and, and, and feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a common niche there? So um, when we're selecting our farm, we, we say, what are your goals? And your goals are going to be market share. How much market share do you want? Uh, I was, a lesson I learned from a guy named Lance Loken, gosh, 10 years ago now in 2013, one of the classes he taught, is he he believes that 15% is the saturation point for a farm or for any, for any area. So if I have, uh, let's use 200 home farm and 10 of them sell, then 15% would be one and a half. I'm not going to sell one and a half, but I can go get two. And once I have two homes out of the 10 that sold, it's tough for me to go get four In that same farm, I would be better off to go to another farm, another 200, and grab the other two there. So 15% was the number. I've seen some people have farms as high as 60 70% uh, because they are just that expert. Rarely will you have 100% because there's going to be everyone who knows someone's Uncle Larry who's an agent there. So you identify what is your market share you want, what's your income, how many transactions do you need, and how much time and money are we going to put into farming? And what is our expected results we get back from farming? And I've mentioned time and money. That's going to be your budget. I think what's really important here when you're thinking about your farm, if your budget only allows for 50 homes, because you can only afford you know, 50 mailers uh, once a month, you can only, your time only allows you to knock on you know, door knocking once or twice a month, then don't water down your farm by doing less. Choose less people and go all in. I think about this with uh, a beer. Hey, I got one beer, but I really wanted three beers. You can't take the one beer, dump it in three cups, fill up the rest with water, and call it three beers. It's still one beer. You just watered it down. You don't get the same effect. There's no same taste with it. So don't water down your marketing. Don't water down your prospecting. If your budget doesn't allow you to do it with the full amount, then start small. Once you get a conversion from that 50 then go add 50 more, then go add 50 more, and eventually you've got your 200 or 2,000 or 20,000 person farm there. Uh, When you do start small, not only is it budget time friendly, it has a better uh, opportunity for you to create relationships with those people because you're not spread so thin. Can you imagine if you did a farm of 20,000 with billboards and TVs and radios? It'd be very hard to establish relationships with them, so you'd have to go heavy on the marketing because you won't have that relationships. Versus if you do start small, you can create those relationships because it's easier and more intimate. So something to think about as you're selecting your farm. Uh, The location, existing boundaries, are you neighboring a county, neighboring a certain zone, school zones? What kind of homes are in there? How's the supply and demand, the desirability? Again, do you know people in that farm already? Will the average sales price support your goals based on your marketing, your budgeting? Turnover ratio when the numbers that we're seeing here is, the average is 4%. If you can get anywhere between six to 10%, it's a pretty nice farm. You've got enough opportunity there. So if you can find 10, let's go for it. Uh, anything less than five, I would consider looking elsewhere. And that's just, is the neighborhood or is that group of people turning over and moving more often? We look at tenure in and previous home. We given the example of, let's say you do have a neighborhood of a thousand, a thousand homes and you're going, oh, I can only afford 200. How do you choose which 200 to do? A couple different ways you can do it. You can just blindly go, I choose this one. Maybe that's good luck, right? Uh, Maybe you live in one of those areas. You're going to choose the 200 closest to you. Or maybe you're doing it off the heels of a listing you just took. You do the 200 closest to that listing because you already have some momentum there. Um, Or you consider who's the most likely people out of these 1,000 to move. Based on tenure, based on when they bought, will they be moving? Stats say that anywhere between uh, zero to three years is 5%. Probably not a great market. So you can say, all right, I'm not going to farm anybody who's lived in it less than three years. Might they move? Sure, 5% of them will, but 95% won't. So the next is four to seven years. That's 12%. Okay, that's that's a better mark, four to seven versus zero to three. Four to seven, you have more than two and a half times more likely to move. But then you have eight to 10, and that's 14%. So, depending on where you're at, maybe you look and you go, wow, there's 206 people who've lived in their home eight to 10 years. That's where you can start. The highest area is actually 16% or 16 years or more, and that's 25%. So, look at the people who've been there the longest, and maybe those are it. So, that's as you're looking at going. It's, it's based on where you're at, where you live, where you've taken a listing, or the most likely to sell based on some data. That's how you can select that farm. When you're doing it, be the expert. Be hyper-local. Look at their days on market, their expired listings, their price reductions. Who's got mind share versus market share? There's a great testimony I want to share with you guys. And there's a survey done. I'm not sure by whom, but I read it and and I believe it. Don't fact check me. I don't have the facts. Yet a company did a survey in a neighborhood. And they said, we're looking for the neighborhood expert, Realtor. Who's the expert? And everyone had different answers. Not a single person got two votes. So there was no expert. It was wide open. For the taking. Then they did a target market um, 12 by 12. So 12 direct mails over 12 weeks. And they took a fictitious person with a fictitious name and a fictitious picture with a fictitious brokerage. Didn't do anything with it besides just send direct mail. And then they did a survey again, and that person had 25% market share, excuse me, mind share of who was the expert. Of course there's no market share because it wasn't a real agent yet he won the reputation aspect there. So we're looking at market share versus mind share uh, when you're going through this. When you think about that, uh, I want you to think about reputation comes first, right? When you, when you go start, first they're going to see you, then it's consistent, then they start trusting you over time. There's a book called Blink that talks about that, that reputation just builds that trust. Then you focus on events, door knocking conversations to be able to add that value as well. So that's a lot of the geographic farming. I want to talk about some specific niches that you could do, and some, some popular niches could be a specific generation or a specific culture. In fact, Hispanics and Latinos are the fastest-growing uh, culture of homeownership. Now, I don't speak Spanish. That would be a very hard way for me to connect because I don't speak Spanish. I don't type Spanish. I'd have to get a translator. Probably not a good fit for me, yet if you do, then you need to really consider that. Uh, Foreign-born customers, the American dream. So if, if you're an immigrant or, or, or were or you are generational and you can connect with them, consider that. Um, investors, second home, that's something I'm passionate about right now. Um, building wealth through real estate. We have an Airbnb. We have a long-term rental. So maybe that's a niche that you want to focus and target. and You go after absentee owners or people who would like to be investors and do wealth-building seminars and offer books. Luxury clientele lakefront clientele, beach access clientele, golf front clientele. You can, you can see how you can get specific with the niche there. <clears throat> uh, single buyers, first time home buyers, uh, student housing, all these different aspects. Because if we just say, hi, real estate is great. Come use me. That's very broad, very general, and not really connecting with anybody. So aim small, miss small. The deeper you get, the more hyperlocal you can get. Here's a neighborhood stats for this specific neighborhood. I'm more interested in that, than here's the national news. We can we can see how we can relate to that, right? It's almost like if you're watching the news and you see, oh, this, this, then, and they see you, your street and your neighborhood, you're like, hold on, turn it up, what is happening? That is my neighborhood, this is my people, I connect, I want to know what's happening on the news, and that's the attention you can grab versus this happened in Orlando or in the U.S. Uh, demographics, when you look at demographics, generational, baby boomers are 60 and up, echo boomers are 40 to 60, millennials, they're the ones who are buying right now and they're the 20 to 40 year olds. So there's your millennials. Let's maximize your marketing efforts, how you market, where you market, right? TikTok is not for your your echo boomers or your baby boomers. They're just not there. Baby boomers are all over Facebook. So if you're going after estate planning and investors, maybe you are going to go after boomers, which is not going to be your TikTok channel because that's your millennials. Now I'm not saying that not a single millennial is an investor. I get it, they're there. But this is the strategy you want to think about. And every tactic in the absence of strategy seems like a good idea. So don't just throw tactics against and see if they stick. Have your strategy, put it in plan, put a, put a plan in place and follow the plan. Lots of Ps there. Additional tips. If you are going for a, a certain demographic or certain culture or, or foreign buyers or you know, Asian or Irish or European or whatever it could be, understand the culture as well as the language, understand how to be respectful, understand the needs, the wants, check the census numbers, connect with them, offer stuff that they can really relate to. So that's how you want to really just be an extra asset. Don't call yourself an expert, but not be willing to put in the work to be the expert. Once you have your farm established, whether it's geographically, demographically, or psychographically, we want to work on working that farm. Now here's going to be the farming cadence call. Okay, you ready? Here we go. 12 direct. 12 direct is going to be 12 direct marketing pieces that go out once a month indefinitely. It's not once a month when you can afford it. It's not once a month when you're not too busy. It's once a month because that's the plan. You don't get to turn off the microwave because you won't get the popcorn. So it's once a month, 12 direct. Then you can do a quarterly door knock and get in front of their eyeballs or in front of their ears once a a quarter talking about what you talked about in that monthly newsletter. That's going to be the strategy there. You're building the reputation, and the reputation turns into the relationship. So you have your 12 direct. You have your quarterly phone calls. Go through two events a year in the neighborhood. Events can be fun social, or they can be useful and needed. Maybe one of your events is... I've heard shred parties and you get a shred truck at your front door or in the neighborhood community park at the clubhouse and everyone brings their documents to shred or junk luggers and you can say whatever you want to give away that's bulk items put it on the curb on this date and I'm gonna pay for it to go away or toxic paint and you have a trailer anyone who has toxic stuff or batteries or paint and you can't throw it away save them a trip and say look I'm coming by dropping the trailer and I'm gonna take it for you those are some events maybe you want a little more social and it's It's potlucks or it's ice cream trucks or it's something fun um, that you can do for pet owners. Some people do fishing tournaments. So whatever you want to do, these are the events. And the events are what you talk about on your quarterly knock and what you talk about in your newsletters. In addition to that, we think about how can we connect with people. Not only is it with newsletters, not only is it with phone calls and events, Get that neighborhood Facebook page. Perhaps you can start it. That's a great opportunity if you're the administrator of your Facebook page to be able to do that. Get local vendors. Understand who lives in that neighborhood or even in that demographic. What do they do for a living? How can you support other small business owners? And all of a sudden, people are excited to work with you because you're helping them. As you create all of these questions, then you've got to allocate and dedicate your time and your money with your budget. So if you know that you're willing to knock on 50 doors a week and you wanna door knock every quarter, then your time would allow you essentially 600 homes in that farm. Can you also afford to send 600 postcards or newsletters with postage? And maybe it's a dollar each. So now you're spending 600 bucks a month in postage and door knocking 50 doors a week, and that's your budget. And your budget's a 600-home farm. We can see how that adds up, right? So we want to just do the math, scale it up, chunk it down, and we can identify what does your budget allow you to do. Uh, when you're doing it, you'll quickly find who the champions of that farm are, especially in neighborhoods. You're going to know who's the social butterfly, who's the busy bee, who knows it all about anybody, uh, and hopefully they're on your side because if they're on their side, they become your greatest advocates. They're your bird dogs. They become your raving fans. They help support And promote these events because they think it's a good thing for the neighborhood. If you upset them, they could become your biggest obstacle. So just know who they are and know that you're going to build reputation and then relationship. Always come from contribution, always be giving, always be offering, be a resource, build a reputation, build a relationship. The business will come, right? Market share will follow mind share. If they think of you for real estate, they're going to think of you when they want to sell or buy real estate. So market share comes. After Mindshare, create your directory. How many community directories do we have anymore? It's not many, right? Uh, Nextdoor created it a little bit and, and get on Nextdoor if that'll help you, but create that community directory. I would love it if I know that my neighbor's a plumber or an HVAC and I've got something wrong and I can just go ask my neighbor. And it's whether it's the friends and family discount or no discount at all, but someone who I trust and is local and can do it. A uh, good example, I I was pressure washing and had my eye, something flung in my eye, didn't know what it was and thought I could just get through it and and flushed it out. But then that night I was walking my dog and and the moon had a halo around it. I was like, let's clean the glasses, took the glasses off, still has a halo. Yep, that eye is something wrong. I knew one of my neighbors was a dentist and at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, went over to his house and he looked at it and took it. and, And I knew that because we had a connection, we had a relationship. So create those relations with that directory of who's who and who does what, uh, that builds the community. And I think a lot of people want and miss having that community connection and maybe you can be the resource to do it. Um, so here's what I want you to think about is, is how many people does your budget allow? How, many, how much time can you spend? How much money can you spend? And where are these 600 or the 300 or the 1,000 people that are best available for your time, money, and energy? What is the turnover ratio and, and will that support your goals? We want to build trust and recognition. We want to market to them when we think about what happens with this. So so so, walk me through this, right? Or I'll walk you through it. We've got 500 people in our farm, and I don't know any of them. And I'm going to do a 12 direct. And I'm going to do a 12 direct. And those 12 directs are newsletters or postcards with calls to action. Calls to action might be, check out what your house is worth. It might be, be added to my mailer list. It might be, what do you do for a living? I want to create vendor directory. It might be, do you want notes to the HOA meeting? Whatever that call to action is, every one of your messages have a call to action so you can elicit a response. When you elicit a response, now you're in your database. Once in your database, we've already talked about this, you want to cement that relationship with your eight by eight, eight touches over eight weeks, cements that relationship. So now now they respond, they're in your database cementing that relationship and they're still in your farm getting that 12 direct and some of those things might, might cross, right? Because I'm already door knocking. I'm already sending you something. So I don't need to do eight more. I just might need to do three or four or five more. If you need help with this, read the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, The Lead Generation Model, or put a comment in, and I can help you with those coaching or give you additional resources. Everything we do is about growing and converting our database. And a farm is no different. So we're farming, we're farming, we're farming. We establish a new contact. That contact goes in the database. They go to an eight by eight. We're going to aggressively, persistently, strategically market to them. Let's host some seminars, let's host some webinars, let's join some local organizations that that group or that farm might attend. Every time there's a fisbo, every time it's expired, every time there's a new house there, you want to be the agent who's in that house and knowing what's going on because how can you claim to be the neighborhood expert if you don't know exactly what's happening on with everything about real estate? So, know and study that area. Um, farming, if we go back to, if I were to ask my, my second grader at home, what is a farm? He's going to tell me it's old McDonald who crops and tends. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm going to plant some seeds and I don't know which seeds are going to sprout, hopefully most of them, but not all of them. Sometimes another bird is going to come in and pluck that seed. Sometimes the seed is going to get absorbed by another We We don't know about it, but what we know is that 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 farmer is going to water it and make sure it has sunlight and change the fertilizer. And then it's going to yield crops. And what I don't know if you know this or not, but then we're going to change our crops from one quarter to another quarter. So they are going to actually move it because it helps cross-pollinate. And we've got multiple farms happening because over here I grow beets and over here I grow cabbage. That's a farm. Now just take the same principles of that farmer and apply it to people in a neighborhood or demographic or psychographic. Farming can be lucrative. Do not do it blind. Do not do it on a whim. Be strategic. Be thoughtful. Be purposeful. Be persistent. And it can and will pay off. And everything we do is about growing and building and converting our database. And the farm is the source and how you can do it. And most importantly, I'm going to say this, and have fun. Have fun because if what we're doing isn't fun, it's going to wear you down, wear you out, and it's just not going to be great. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Real Estate Made Simple. I'm Rick Bosley. If you liked what you heard, let me know. It truly is. I love the feedback and let me know if I can help you out. And if you want any additional resources or guidance or questions, drop it in the comment. I am very active on social media. And so you can drop a comment. I'll see it. I will respond. Share this with a friend. Subscribe to the channel. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much.